My name is Justin, one of the elders, uh, pastors here at Peninsula Grace, and uh, man, it is a blessing uh, to be here. We, uh, as one of the pastors, I want to say on behalf of the other three pastors, uh, thank you. Last month was Pastor Appreciation Month, my favorite month of the entire year. Man, it was, but no, seriously, we just, I mean, I know talking to a lot of pastors out there, um, they just don't, they feel lonely. Uh, they feel underappreciated and overworked, and, and that has just not been our case here. Um, so just on behalf of Ross and, and Danny, actually Danny was supposed to be up here helping lead today, our youth pastor, but he's homesick, so Danny wanted me to pass along, thank you, um, so that's from Danny, and, uh, but man, and you could text him right now, why aren't you at church, pastor, right? you, can, you can do that. Um, but man, just thank you for the gifts that you've given, uh, coming to the office uh, a couple times a week just with another present on the, on the desk and just feeling the love. So appreciate the appreciation, and we appreciate you. So we'll just keep that appreciation cycle rolling. Uh, if you're with us uh, this morning, we, we've been walking through the uh, book of Ephesians, and we're going to continue that here today. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, finishing up the second half. We're going to be in the uh, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB up on the screen, but invite you to follow along in your copy in your lap. Uh, the year was 1942, and uh, the man's name was Viktor Frankl. He was a, a Jewish man uh, living in Austria at the time, and, and on top of the world. He was a successful psychiatrist. He was married to the love of his life, Tilly. Uh, they were pregnant with their first child. But a lot like Job in the, book of the, uh, in the Bible, uh, everything fell apart and fell apart quickly. Austria was conquered by Nazi Germany, and uh, Tilly was forced to abort their first baby because Jewish women were not allowed to be pregnant. And over the next three years, Victor and his family were carted from concentration camp to concentration camp. His father died of starvation and pneumonia. His mom and brother were both murdered in the gas chambers uh, in Auschwitz, and his wife Tilly uh, was died of typhus in the final camp that they were at. It was a dark dark world for Victor. And after the war, he was freed and he was able to continue his, um, his career as a psychiatrist and he devoted his life to, to help people find, to find purpose, uh, to find hope in, in the midst of, of pain. He wrote a book uh, that you can read today called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the things that he found in the concentration camps that was an essential ingredient to survive was hope. That Victor found that without hope, uh, we, cannot, we cannot endure. And, and he found this in, um, there's a record high death rate at Auschwitz between Christmas of 1944 and New Year's Day of 1945. Uh, and, and, and what he believed was going on was that the prisoners there, uh, they expected, they hoped, to be home by Christmas. And when Christmas Day came and went, um, they, they, they lost hope. They lost hope. Proverbs, uh, Solomon says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Or, or as, as Frankel said, uh, whoever was still alive there had some reason, had a reason for hope. But hope in what? Like what is the object of our hope? And then what, what Frankel believed was that it was hope in, in some form of a purpose. So there has to be some kind of meaning in the, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this evil that he was seeing in these concentration camps. And, and what Frankel famously said was, he who has a why to live for, 
He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. How do you survive four concentration camps? And the death of your child and your, your wife and your mother and your brother and your father he said, it's, it's hope. It's hope that this isn't just some cruel, meaningless joke being played on you by a heartless God that our suffering has some form of purpose, a why to be able to go through the hows of life. And, and the question that I, I see addressed in this passage this morning that I want us to ponder together is how, how do we find hope today? How do we find hope in the face of these challenges, the grand challenges of life that you and I face? Because maybe we're not in a concentration camp this morning, but we do live in a world, a fallen world all around us, and we, and we deal with the, the sinful desires within us and challenges that you and I face every single day. Two days from now is election day. And, and we're going to look at results, and some of us are going to look at the results Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, with renewed hope. Some of us are going to feel more hopeless than we did the night before. Some of us are going to be like, there was an election? (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) How do we have hope for a country that just seems to be pulling itself further and further apart at the seams? Then what about a little bit closer to home in our own hearts? The addictions, the anxiety and depression... Shame and guilt racking us from a hidden sin. Broken relationships that seem beyond repair. Maybe we've been hoping for something that has yet to come true. Maybe you, you feel the despair of loneliness or, or are overwhelmed with busyness or have a, just a suspicious feeling that life just this isn't fair. Maybe this is a cruel joke. Maybe life doesn't have a point. How, how do we endure? And like Frankel, Paul says that our motive is a hope, that there is a why, that there is a purpose to life. Now, Paul is writing these letters from prison. And so, so he's a man who's endured some hows. And he's learned something of, of how to endure life's challenges by seeing God's grander purposes for Paul in his life. That he's not in chains for no reason. And if you and I, if we're going to learn to live in the how, we must anchor our hope in the why, in the purposes that God has for us. I, I would say it this way. I think in this passage we're going to find that a, uh, we find hope in an expanding vision, an expanding vision of God's powerful purposes for us found in the person of Jesus. And my hope is that we, as we look at this passage together, we're going to see three things in the text that offer us hope this morning as we expand that vision. Words that are spoken, prayers that are prayed, and in King Jesus himself. So let's look at these three together. Number one, we remind each other through words. We remind each other through words. One of my uh, best friends is not a follower of Jesus. And I pray for them every single day that they would know Jesus as life. And I imagine one day, I just imagine that God answering that prayer... God saving them, to place their faith in Christ and start following Him and knowing the freedom found in Christ. How would I respond in that moment? Would I just be like, well, sweet, I don't have to pray for them anymore, right? They're off the list. Next, right? No, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Finally. And I would start dancing around, kiss the first person I see, hopefully my wife, right? 
Otherwise, we're going to have some problems. Uh, and, and I'd call them up and be like, yo, person, HIPAA, I'm not going to tell you who this is, right? It's Facebook, it's a small world, right? Uh, ever since you, I heard you embraced Jesus, like, I have not stopped thanking God for you, that you're my sibling in Jesus now, and I'm not going to stop praying for you because you're still jacked up. You've got a long way to go like the rest of us, right? But I'm so happy. Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus. He was telling people that were lost about how to be found in Jesus. And many had heard, but few had responded at first. But now he's starting to hear these reports of the gospel taking seed and bearing fruit in Ephesus. He hears of people getting saved and growing. And just like me on that hypothetical phone call with my friend, here's how he responds in, this, in Ephesians. He says, this is why, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I heard your believers now. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Paul says, man, since the moment I heard you're my siblings now. I have not stopped geeking out about it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And Paul says, what, what did he hear about? He heard, I heard about your faith in Jesus. And as a result of your faith in Jesus, I've heard that you're loving the people around you. You're loving the saints. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything was perfect in Ephesus. They're just like, we believe Jesus in all things, and we just always love. This is not the Ephesian Von Trapp family. They're just all holding hands, and always, we have trust in Jesus and love one another. Cuckoo, cuckoo. You know, this is not, they, they have problems. In fact, that's why he says, when I'm praying for you. Like, he knows they've still got a ways to go. But what he sees here is the first fruit, the evidence of a new life of faith in Jesus, their love that they have for one another. Early attempts at love can be messy. I'm learning that with a seven-month-old, right? When Lucy goes in for a kiss, it's just this, she just comes at you, there's drool everywhere. She spears you with one of her little teeth popping up. Jill's got scars all over her neck now in Lucy's attempts at love, right? But we go, oh, man, look at her. It's a work in progress. That's evidence of her trying to love. Someday she'll get that hand-eye coordination thing down. Man, it's easy to be a critic, isn't it? Like, it's easy. It's not hard to see people's faults. I'm very quick to see what lacks in other people. And maybe I won't tell you to your face, but I think about it in my head, right? <laughs> so now nobody's going to want to talk to me after the service, right? I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm trying to love you, right? Um, but, man, we, but it's how much harder is it? How much harder is it to both see and name the growth that we're seeing in other people. But how much more infinitely helpful and encouraging. And and this is important here. Paul sees the growth, but then he tells them. He tells them that he's thanking God for them. He tells them that he's seeing the evidence of their faith. If we see something, we need to say something. If you're encouraged by somebody, if you see the evidence of the grace of God in somebody, we need to send them a text message Or we need to say something to them in person. Our words are powerful, brothers and sisters. And this is not just ear tickling. This is not just the, you know, affirming snowflakes and just kind of this tolerant, the the relativism of our culture. This is based on the reality of what we have in Christ. 
If you notice here, Paul says, this is why. Verse 15, this is why, since I heard of your faith and your love, I, I keep thanking God. Well, what is why? Remember we said when we're reading the Bible, we want to say, what is the therefore, therefore? So what is why? What's he connecting? Well, what came before this? If you've been here with us, Paul opens with this beautiful poem of the blessings that we have in the person of Jesus. Remember, we said that it's like this, this dump truck load of blessings that we have in Christ. Or Pastor Ross said last week, like one of his kids trying to pour the pitcher into the glass, and it's just flowing all over the dining room table, right? So that is the love that's being dumped on us, overflowing into our lives in Christ. And he says, now that I've heard that you're in Christ, the reason I'm so jacked up is because you now have these blessings, That you're now, you're chosen by God. That you are adopted as his child. That you're forgiven of all your sins. That it's guaranteed your future one day. You're going to stand before God as holy and blameless. That that you are now his possession forever. And now that I've heard, man, this is you. This is what you have in Jesus. Man, praise God. This gives confidence for Paul in his vision for the Ephesians. And this is the grace that we need in the way that we see other people around us. I love what Brian Chappell says about this. He says, people cannot grow in an environment where only their failings are seen and remembered. Maybe you've been in an environment like that. Maybe you are in an environment like that. That's not a healthy place. That's not a place where we grow. That so much of ministering to God's people is simply being ready to see the good and to envision what will be rather than what is in people. And I see where you're at. I see your, your messy attempts at loving each other. But I also know who you are in Christ and where he is taking you according to his promises. Often this is the hardest to do with the people closest to us. Chapel was telling a story about a man in his church, a leader in his church, who was really good at encouraging all the people in their congregation. He saw the potential in Christ of all those people, but he failed to see it and speak into it in his own son's life. And he paid a dear price. And it took years to repair a very tenuous relationship because he did not speak words of encouragement and affirmation to his own child. So who do you this morning need to help? Who do you need to tell that you're thankful for them? That you're encouraged by seeing the work of God in them? And that we're not just criticizing the people around them, us, but we see God's vision for growth in their life. This is one of the ways Paul says that we face the challenges of life with hope. We build one another up in Christ. So not only do we see and name the good that is, the potential that will be, we pray for the things that remain to be. The second thing we see is that we pray for one another. We pray for each other to have eyes to see. I love this. When Paul says, when I pray to God, I can't help myself from remembering you guys back in Ephesus. He says, verse 16, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in all my prayers. He says, every time I go to pray to God, like you just keep coming to mind. Like, I love those guys. Yeah, those guys. Oh, man, Lord, thank you for those guys. And how amazing, how, how encouraging to know that somebody else is praying for you. And, and this is, again, where if we are praying for someone, we need to tell them that we're praying for them. Like, how encouraged have you been when someone says, hey, remember when you shared that thing you were going through? Like, I just wanted you to know I've been praying for you in that. Now, part of that is if we say we're going to pray for somebody, we need to actually pray for them, Right? 
How many, how many times have we been like, I will pray for you, whoop, right? We never do it. So, man, one of the ways, how do we actually, that's why a lot of times I'll tell somebody, when it comes to mind, <laughs> when it comes to mind, I will pray for you, right? But, but how do we also instill habits into our lives so that we actually pray for people? One of the things I, I like to do as a habit, I, I like to shower every morning, praise Jesus, right? Come on. <laughs> Um, but while I'm in the shower, as a, an excuse to stay in the shower for a longer period of time, I pray for people. And I actually have a different group uh, that I pray for each morning. So I'm going to pray for the elders or, the, or, or my family or, or the guys in, in my discipleship group or in our small group or whatever it might be. And to know that on a consistent basis, I'm going to at least pray for them once a week. That also then brings them to my attention. And maybe later that day, I'm going to shoot them a text message. How is that going? Hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. And actually mean it. My wife has a little uh, lamination card thing in, in, the, in the escape. And so when she's driving to work or to the store or whatever, buying me a, another big present, um, she's just like, she has a list. And again, each day she has different people on her list who she's praying for. What are some just small habits that we can integrate that into our lives so that we're praying for the people around us? And then notice what Paul prays. Here's the content of his prayer. He's going to get into a prayer here. He says, here's what I pray. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. His prayer is that these Ephesians would truly know God. But he says to know God, the Holy Spirit has got to give us the wisdom to know him and the revelation, that's a revealing, to have eyes to see who God really, really is. Uh, have you ever seen those videos of kids who are getting implants in their ears and they're able to hear their parents' voices for the first time? It's that, like, I'm not crying, you're crying moment on YouTube, and here's a little gif of one of the kids. Look at this. Here's the moment. Oh, but you... One more time. No! <laughs> There's a... What? How beautiful... And those children needed outside help to be able to hear the good news from their father's lips, from their mother's lips, that they are loved. It's so easy for us, guys, to hear the lies and hopelessness of the world all around us. In the endless cycle of news feed, of social media, and that little voice chirping in our own ear from our own hearts and from the tempter. And Paul says, like those kids, God, I'm asking you to give my brothers and sisters ears to hear the good news right from the Father's lips that they are loved. He prays three things in particular. He says, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened have eyes to see, ears to hear, so that you may know. And three things that he wants them to know. Number one, what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of God's calling? This word calling, it, it meant an invitation to a feast. That we would know, that we would walk in the reality that God has invited us into a feast with him. But in order for us to come to that feast, we need two things. We need pardon. For us to be welcomed to his holy banqueting table, we could not come as sinners and in Christ, what do we see in his opening poem? We are fully and forever forgiven. We have an invitation to that feasting table. But not just an invitation. That is sure. There's also a purpose. God has called us into relationship. And he's pardoned us unto a purpose. 
I grew up a PK, pastor's kid. Any other PKs in the house? We're going to start a support group on Thursday night, so you can come and join us there. That'll be really bad coffee. Um, so we, um, I was at every kid function because of, I was a children's pastor's kid. As I got to be in fourth or fifth grade, I started to get a little too cool for Sunday school. And uh, so my dad, in his infinite wisdom, he, he knew one way that, one, something that might help, is he gave me a job. He gave me a purpose. And I became the, the head sound technician <laughs> of the Peninsula Grace Sunday School, which entailed pressing play for that cassette tape in that boombox, right? In the 90s kids in the house. We'll sing Carmen later together. We, all of a sudden, I had a purpose. And I, go, I went from being bored and kind of bitter at my dad for having to be there to like I was excited. I had a job. I was the boombox guy, right? And what higher calling is there? You were talking about a hope of a calling, right? And so all of a sudden, I could endure the how because I had a why, because I had a purpose. And brothers and sisters, we were called to work. We were called for a purpose, made in God's image, and now redeemed in Christ for a purpose. And we're going to talk about that purpose in, in just a minute. But the third thing that Paul prays for is, or the second thing, excuse me, is what is the wealth that is in glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, Pastor Ross broke this down last week, that it's a similar language from earlier in the chapter. That This could mean what we inherit, but most likely in the way that it's structured is actually saying we are his inheritance. His inheritance is in the saints. In other words, we are God's valued possession. I had a, a girl that I knew growing up. Uh, she was a young teenager, and her mom, uh, her mom continually told her that she was going to grow up and become a prostitute. <laughs> like, that is not being treasured and valued. Can you imagine? I mean, how, how are you supposed to have a hope in a future when your own mom is telling you that that is your destiny and that you're worth more, no more than selling yourself? You and I can succumb to similar lies that our God doesn't notice us, doesn't value us, that maybe he like, has to help us because he's God, but he doesn't even really like us. Paul wants to say here, my prayer is that you would have eyes to see the reality, ears to hear the truth, that you, look at me, you are a valued possession by your God, now and forever. This word actually, inheritance, means given to one as a possession. That we've been given to God. This is security. God knows how our story ends. And Paul says here, you, we will be at the table. He will receive us. And this is a secure hope. That's not a, a glorious hope if it's not secure. Like Ross said last week, we've got our, our bags are tagged with the pink polka-dotted bow thing. Like, we, we, he's coming back for us. He values us. We will sit there with him one day. The hope of his calling, the wealth of his inheritance. And then number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty power of his strength? Not only is there a hope in what is to come, we have power to be able to get to that destination. And Paul's going to unpack that in this third and final point. So let's look at number three. We watch the throne. We watch the throne. Shout out to Jay-Z and Kanye. Sometimes um, children, if it's okay if you get that reference, you're better Christian than I am. Um, 
sometimes children with autism can fixate on an, like a singular activity or um, an object, and that kind of becomes their, their world in that moment. And they don't see things around them. And so one of the tools that has, been helped, has helped some is a pair of glasses that are kind of clouded on the bottom and clear on the top. And it helps encourage looking up and seeing the wider, more wonderful world all around them. And we, find, we, we can find hope in, in the face of these challenges in our lives by, by stopping, stopping to staring down at one thing, being fixated on a, on a particular problem, and looking up and seeing a bigger picture. Paul wants to expand the Ephesians' vision by unpacking for them uh, the power that God had in them and that same power that God has in us today, and it's on a cosmic level. He says, first of all, he talks about a power in us that is resurrection power. It's resurrection power. He says, he exercised, God exercised this power in Christ. How? By raising him from the dead. He said, the power that's in you, and this is mind-blowing, the same power that is in the believer today is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. He, he says that that, that that historical reality is, is our present day reality and power. This is, this is crazy. And you know what this means practically for us? Brothers and sisters, we do not have to sin anymore. We have, sin and death have no longer any power over us. We will physically die, most of us, unless Jesus comes back first, but that's not the last word. And then even today, we do not have to sin any longer. Now, of course, as believers, we still do. This is a messy process of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we've got to develop new patterns of thinking and new habits, replacing the old way of thinking and the old habits. But the reality is, is now we have the power. Dun, 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 dun. And what happens often is that we are looking down at the manacles instead of getting our eyes up and seeing the one who's holding the key and not just longs to free us, but has already risen from the grave and has freed us. Not only is this a a resurrection power, it's a sovereign power. Sovereign, so that word just simply means to rule or reign over. Over reign, sovereign, right? And this, this word applied to Jesus means that, number one, Jesus is in charge of everything now, and that Jesus is in control of everything. Beautiful truths that he says here. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his, God's right hand. That's a position of authority and power in the heavens. And he says, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, this power is given to him now, and it's also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over everything. This is what, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Now, how does Paul say he exercises that power? Unto what end? Like, what's he doing with his power? And this is the crazy part. He says, he's appointed him as head over everything for the church. For the, why does Jesus have all that power and authority? He says, for the church. 
which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, what does he mean? Like New English, sometimes if you're tripping over a passage, like read another translation and it can help shed some light on it. The New English translation says it this way, and God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? You and I live in a dark world. We live in a world of a Viktor Frankl concentration camp. But God, who is in complete control by his sovereign power, raised Jesus from the dead. And now, this one man is like a candle. He's like a candle shining in a dark world. But after Jesus ascended, he lit the flame of 120 other candles. And he said, go share that flame. And over 2,000 years later, that one little candle has turned into a global wildfire of people following Jesus Christ as King. You and I are the body of Jesus' head. You and I, as if you're a believer in here this morning, we are a part of a global cosmic mission that he says here is guaranteed to succeed is guaranteed to outlast every other competing mission. Why? Because Jesus doesn't lose. No other institution has this promise of God behind it. No other institution has this power of God in it. No other empire, no other nation, no other company or institution, no no other family, no other political party. It's in the church of Christ alone. But two helpful reminders in us that in this thing I think that is helpful for Christians in the current challenges that we're facing in our world. A, how, how, we need to remember how Jesus completes this mission in us, how he completes it. Um, so notice, uh, I've noticed something recently that's super profound about myself. Are you ready for this? So my body, my body does whatever my head says to do. Like, this is crazy, right? So watch this. My head says, move, lip. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right? Isn't that crazy? Now, what, what, ready for another one? It's magic. Move, freak pinky. There it is. Is that good? Over here. Yeah. I'll shake your hand afterward if you want me to. Um, my, my body just does whatever my head says. Isn't that cool? Like, it's just an amazing reality, right? But here, here's what Paul... So if Jesus is our head, he says, then therefore, as his body, whatever the head says to do, the body does. And however the head says to do that, that's how the body is to do it. He says he's the head over everything for the church, which is his body. Jesus is our commander-in-chief. He's our king. He is our sovereign. And therefore, we do, as his body, what he says to do. So what did he say to do? He said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Like, that's our job. This is not just like my freak pinky. We have to do whatever Jesus says, right? And how to do it. He's going to say in chapter 4, how do we live this thing out? How do we grow? How do we build the body? It's by practicing the truth in love. This is non-negotiable. And here's the deal. I think that many in the church today have confused what the mission is and how to live it out. In two days, we're going to have an election. And sadly, 
even in the body of Christ, I so often see people who are more concerned, more concerned with voting for the right candidate and voting for the right issue and making disciples of the GOP or whatever party you're a part of and of making disciples of Jesus and practicing the truth in love. Now, notice here, Paul says we are to, that God fills us, and then we go out into the world and fill all things in every way. We're to go into this world as salt and light. But our primary job is not to go out and make America a Christian nation. It's to go out and make disciples of all nations and join the one institution that is guaranteed to last and succeed, and that is the Church of Jesus Christ. We are called to expand the kingdom of Jesus. We are called to be on the mission that Jesus gave us. And we're called to use the tools that Jesus gave us and the power that Jesus gave us. This is prayer. This is preaching the good news and living it out in our love for one another. This is bearing Christ-like fruit. This is the mission. How he completes this mission in us. And then what about B? Jesus completes this, his mission in us not in me. Notice the difference there. It's easy in our world to get into individual terms and to think about what God's doing in my life and to see Jesus as a genie in my pocket to grant my wishes and make my world better. Jesus is here to make our lives better. But guys, we are part of such a grander vision. We need to get our eyes up just off of ourselves, get the cloudy glasses that make us look up at Jesus and look out of this world and see what he is doing. I would say it this way. There are no desperado Christians, no desperado kind of lone ranger Christians. You're not out there by yourself. So why don't you come to your senses? Because you've been, you've been out riding fences for so long. Right? You didn't get the Kanye reference, but you get the, okay, great. Notice the context here is the church, plural. The church is his body. And I've heard it said, uh, I've heard people say, I, I like the church or I even love the church, but it's his followers I can't stand. It's the people that, that I don't like. But here's the deal, that's actually impossible. Because Jesus said in John 14, to love me is to love one another. In fact, Jesus said, the way that the world, when he's praying to the Father in John 17, he says, the way that the world is going to know that, that God sent me on this mission, the way that the world's going to know that God loves the world is by the love that you have for one another. And I get it. There are plenty of reasons to not like the people in the church. Like We're, a, we're, we're full of recovering sinners. We're hypocrites. We're jerks. Like, we're Jesus' bride, but we can often be a nasty, dumb, ugly bride, right? But that bride is the apple of Jesus' eye. And he is purifying her. And he's working in spite of her, not because of her. And to abandon her is to abandon him. Yeah, the church stinks. And that's the point. 
God's brilliance is to give all the glory to himself in Jesus, our head, because he is using a weak and broken vessel like us to show his power, to show his grace by redeeming ashes and making them beautiful. We can be confident that this hyper-dysfunctional, very adulterous church This bride will slowly become his faithful, lovely partner for eternity. So the question is, are are you loving the church, Jesus' body? We cannot be on mission if we're not. What does that look like? Well, Paul's been unpacking that and modeling that. We pray for our siblings. We speak words of encouragement to our siblings. We serve each other. We do life together. To love Jesus is to love his body. How do we find hope in this world filled with so many challenges? Paul in prison, just like Viktor Frankl in prison, says that we can endure the, the how of this life by finding the why. Our how can be endured if we understand the purpose. Or the way that that I would sum up this passage is that we find hope in an expanding vision as the Spirit gives us eyes to see reality of God's powerful purposes in the risen Jesus for us in Christ. So let's think about this as we land the plane here. How about for you? We're called to remind each other here with, with words. So who is somebody this week, Monday morning, who is somebody that you need to speak a word of gratitude to? Someone who's encouraged you and just to simply say thank you someone to let them know the good things that you're seeing God do in their messy attempts of love? What about the praying for one another to see? Who's somebody that you need to pray for? Instead of criticizing or despairing over, that we pray that the Spirit of God would do in them what we certainly can't do, what they can't do on their own. And finally, we watch the throne of Jesus, our sovereign King. What's one little way, what's one practical way that we can let this little light shine on mission for Jesus? Hide it under a bushel? That's my guys and girls, sorry. Um, Here's what's so cool. God is doing a work that's not going to stop. It's a rushing river toward a final day that Jesus reigns as king over everything. But today, we have the opportunity to offer one little drop in the Spirit's power and every little act of kindness. When we choose to show patience instead of impatience, when we choose to show grace instead of bitterness, when we forgive instead of holding on to, when we believe a truth instead of being succumbing, succumbing to a lie, that's a drop in that rushing river of Jesus' kingdom. And ever since Jesus rose from the dead, not a single empire from that day still exists. Maybe China, that's a different story. Um, But Jesus' church continues to grow. Jesus still reigns, and he will always reign. The promise here in this passage is not that life is going to be easy. There will be a how and many hows to endure. The promise in this passage is that enduring will not be in vain. And we know the ending is sure. Lift our eyes up of faith to see this cosmic vision, a river coursing toward the end of Jesus ruling and reigning in all, over all, and through all, for all time. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there are some in this room today who are facing a dark night of the soul. 
are going through some severe challenges. Within, without. Father, it's easy to despair. It's easy to lose hope. So, Father, we pray alongside Paul, like he did for the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago, that the church today, that you would grant us eyes to see the hope of the invitation to the feast that you've given us in Christ. That you would give us eyes of faith to see that we are your valued possession now and forever. And would you give us eyes to see the power of the risen Jesus. And no matter what the election results are on Tuesday, Jesus Christ is still on the throne, now and for always. And we do not have to fear. We can relax into the good, sovereign reign of Jesus in us. Would you let our little lights shine out in the world this week as by your grace we do our small part in ushering in the kingdom of God. We pray these things in the head of our body's name, Jesus. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last one together.